Oh, that's painful. You all right over there? Yes, I went for a run today. <laughs> oh, see, I only run for my life. What'd you do that for? Yeah, no. I well, it was a nice day. I thought I'd get out and enjoy some vitamin D, and uh, I think I may have overdone it. So last week we did the big earworm episode, and big mistake. <laughs> because you've had songs going through your head for the entire week? No, no, no. I haven't had songs going through my head. I have had one song going through my head the entire goddamn week. <laughs> Which one? All Star by Smash Mouth. <laughs> From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on shortwave radio and Citizens Band 14, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Don't call it a scalper. We introduce you to Adam McIsaac of the Ticket Concierge Service, Robin. He'll tell us why the industry is stacked against the average music fan and when the best time is to grab a pair of tickets to a big show. Plus, Twitter is the final frontier for fans of Star Trek parody accounts. We'll beam you up the latest from Picard, Worf, and Commander Riker. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. Oh, dear. Yeah, I know. And I actually wrote something for Global News uh, about earworms based on our um, on our con- uh, conversation. It was posted on Sunday. And uh, lots of reaction to that one, too. Yeah, People, I was going to say, you're getting a lot of hate mail. A lot of hate mail. I mean, thank you for bringing this to my attention. And now I can't get these songs out of my head. One of my favorite things that we do is when we do do an interview is we often uh, clip what that person has said and turn it into a little quote board that we tweet out as part of a link to the episode. And because Vanessa, our ace executive producer, turns a lot of the quotes from the episodes into the these quote boards that we then use as promotions. She, all she did was tweet out quotes from the songs themselves. Oh no. So she got right into trolling the internet as well. <laughs> okay. Oh, there's my ginger tea. That's what I'm having tonight. I, uh, no, well, I, I had to take some painkillers because of the run. So I think uh, the usual scotch uh, chaser for the podcast would be a very bad idea because there was there was some codeine in this painkiller, and I think that would be pretty loopy if I if I did that. So I'm being responsible. So what possessed you to start running again? Um, the weather. That, that's really it. Um, See, this is the problem with the weather. Everybody complains about it, but nobody does anything okay, about fine. it. Fine, there you go. Yeah, it's a Mark Twain line. Yeah, I know it's a good one. Oldie but a goodie. Take a look. 
have been studying the secondary ticket market and the whole nature of concert ticket sales for the last couple of months now. And I've completely changed my attitude towards people who work in the secondary market. I've changed my attitude towards Ticketmaster. And I've changed my attitude regarding people who think that there should be a a cap on the price of concert tickets. Okay, so explain this to me. Hang on, because it sounds like we're, we're you, you say secondary ticket market. That sounds like scalpers market to me. Kind of like how in the olden days in the eighties in my business world we would call them junk bonds. Now we call them euphemistically high yield investments. No, scalping is the guy who is outside the venue who is trying to gouge people for profit with tickets to a sold-out show or a sporting event or a theater production. The secondary market is the legal market for resale of event tickets, and that includes companies like StubHub and Tickets Now and a variety of others. And uh, it's not... Those companies aren't necessarily scalping. What they are doing is providing a service that some people will avail themselves of. And it's it's not like the scumwell guy, you know, who's got tickets, who's selling tickets on the sidewalk. It's it's much more it's much different than that. And uh we can get deeper into it if you want because Who got to you? Somebody no, got no, to you. No. See the problem with concert tickets is that they are underpriced to begin with. And what happens is that rather than charge what tickets are actually worth, bands and promoters lets groups like Ticketmaster and StubHub and Craigslist and Tickets Now take the heat for it. And we can get into that a little bit deeper uh, if, if once we get our guests on the line here. Our guest is Adam McIsaac. He is the co-founder and CEO of Robin. Now, I've never tried Robin, but uh, I, I understand, uh, Adam, that, that you are a personal ticket concierge. Is that right? Yes, that is right. So explain exactly what that means. We started Robin because we, we just believe in the power of live experiences that are sporting events, concerts, comedy shows, uh, and even the Museum of Ice Cream. That's all the rage on Instagram these days. And we just wanted to make it much easier for people to attend those events and to not have to worry about the ticket. As you mentioned, there's resellers, there's the primary market, there's, there's multiple destinations for people to go to. And with Robin, we wanted to kind of reimagine how technology could help people to attend the events without having to go through all of the pain of actually purchasing a ticket. Now, concierge is actually a really good term for what you do, because if you stay at a high-end hotel in New York, where you are, as a matter of fact, uh, and you say, hey, listen, I want you, you, you're a guest of the hotel, you go down to the concierge and you say, hey, I need reservations at this really, really hot restaurant, or I need tickets to this show, uh, can you acquire them for me. And if it's a good concierge with a lot of good contacts, that person can get you in when nobody else can. Is is that sort of what inspired you to do what you're doing? Yeah. Is we, um, is we had spent a lot of time in the industry just understanding the ins and outs of it and kind of where tickets go and kind of what access truly means. And as a result, we just wanted to provide an easier way for consumers to actually go to the shows that they love. And it's not only hard to get into events. It's like we help businesses and individuals 
to discover amazing experiences that are tailored to their needs and their preferences. And then as well, uh, is we provide the added bonus of taking care of the transaction on their behalf as well. So then how is this not? I'm still establishing the groundwork here. The, the, the foundations of this conversation. Okay. So Radiohead has four shows coming up in Madison Square Garden. I want to go see Radiohead on the third night of that stand. Can you help me? Yeah, absolutely. We, um, much like other people in the industry, can access a variety of suppliers to get inventory. Uh, this could be venue direct. We've worked with artists directly before. In Canada, we worked with Arkells and with July Talk to help. Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean you work with artists directly? Is uh, we speak to their management, we speak to the artists to be able to uh, actually facilitate an artist pre sale, which we've done in the past. Um, uh, but for Radiohead, we're not working with Radiohead or their management. Um, it would be contacting the venue, the ticketing providers, or even the broker networks uh, to be able to access inventory. Okay. Michael, you may go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. So how how do you square this with the poor schlub who lined up overnight at their favorite music venue okay, to get stop. tickets stop, the stop, moment stop, stop, that... Stop. I'm going to tell you right now. No, I'm going to stop. I, I, Nobody lines exactly up anymore. Is that what you're going to say? Exactly. No, I'm no, I'm okay. No, I'm so, so what if I haul my ass out of bed right bright and early, and I'm there with my finger over the button? Uh, how how do I not feel like you guys are doing an end run about, uh, around the schmo? Because okay, hang on. Let's talk. I'm sorry, Adam. I have Adam's. Wait a minute. Don't you think Adam should be the one defending this? I'm happy to explain kind of philosophy we have, which is. The idea of making people stand in line and to be on a computer at a specific time or a specific specific day is ludicrous. This is like the post-internet world, and I understand why this used to be the status quo. However, there's people that are very busy that just can't actually take the time to do that, nor are they even aware of a 10 a.m. on sale because their lives are genuinely busy. And so Robin is in nice service to be able to help people that are perhaps either too busy or they're just not aware of everything that's happening them, uh, that's happening around them. And, you know, much like other companies, we do provide a real service for people that just want to want to go to great experiences. Just hang on. I'm going to have to, I want to school Michael a little bit more <laughs> on how this actually works. No, I'm going to explain oh. to you. All right. Ow. Let's say we have a concert in a venue that has 15,000, a capacity of 15,000. At 10 o'clock on Friday, when the general on sale happens, how many of those 15,000 tickets do you say, do you think goes on, go on sale? I would say probably about two thirds of them go on sale to the general public. Maybe, maybe as, as, as few as, as, as 40%. What? And the re no, the reason is because there are some things called holdbacks and holdbacks go to uh, the band's guest list, the promoter, the venue, the record label. So those are all taken out of the mix. These aren't tickets that materialize out of nowhere. Then there are people who get, uh, who, who uh, are members of American Express and have something like front of the line privileges. They have a credit card. There are other credit card, other VIP offers. Those have to be held back. If you're a member of the artist official fan club, then a certain number of tickets have to be held back for those people. And then there are things like contesting and pre-sales for things like radio stations and video channels that also get taken out of the mix. So by the time we remove all those holdbacks, that 15,000 is maybe 6,500 or maybe even less. So when you go online at 10 o'clock on Friday, 
you are way back in the line already because all these other people have had their tickets procured for them or have other venues to get their tickets. So this the the idea that you are trying to get one of 15,000 tickets is absolutely false. And the problem is you have an awful lot of people trying to buy tickets uh, at the same time. And Ticketmaster, for example, their software can process thousands of transactions per minute. So unless you were apps, it's a lottery at that point. You are not going to get those tickets unless uh, there's multiple shows and uh, somehow the bots have been shut out of this particular activity. I'm okay with the invisible hand of the markets guiding us through this, but if you're actually only getting a chance of getting a, you know, a pair of tickets out of 6,000, not 15,000, is that really established? And, and, and what's the additional cost you pay for the benefit of not having to make sure that you are sitting in front of your browser at 959.59 getting ready to click OK? Uh, Adam, how much is this concierge service costing me? Yeah, is is, uh, is we charge between ten to twenty percent on top of the the cost of inventory, which means if we get the ticket for for a hundred dollars, we charge you either one ten or one twenty, depending on the demand for the event. And how do you determine that in advance? Uh, in terms of the percentage that we add on top, yeah, yeah we have. Uh, a calculator that we use just based off of kind of anticipated demand. We're doing a lot of predicted pricing as well to kind of apply a bit of data science into, into, into analyzing what the market's going to do. But it's, it's typically a 10 to 20% on top of whatever it, it just costs. Now I have heard, I have heard that most of the activity, most of the action in the secondary market occurs 48 hours before showtime. Is that yeah, true? Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, the data that we have, it, uh, it illustrates that there's huge spikes in demands at the time of the on sale. And then as well as two days before the event is scheduled to happen, there's a huge spike in demand that happens then as well. And when you say demand, is that simply like hits to the website requesting tickets for an event that isn't yet available? It's yeah, it's uh, traffic, it's inquiries and, um, there's a variety of ways that we uh, actually track uh, the demand that we have within the system. It can be the number of times people open up an event page to have a look at it. Now, I have to ask some hard questions uh, regarding your suppliers. Now, there are large networks of brokers mm -hmm. who acquire tickets through a variety of means. Are you picky about the means by which these brokers acquire tickets? For example, if you know somebody is using bots and everybody hates bots. Will you use that broker or not? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like we try to stay away from anyone that's doing anything that's underhanded. Uh, the majority of our orders, it actually goes to the primary market is, uh, we're in constant communications with the ticket masters of the world to be able to say, Hey, we have orders. We have demand. If you have supply, let's match it. The problem is, is that Ticketmaster doesn't always have the supply that we need, and therefore we just go to the broker networks. But um, the majority of the transactions we've actually facilitated this last year, it's a lot of kind of the primary suppliers. 
Now, I should also point out that these holdback tickets that I talked about earlier, this number is fluid. So if a band, for example, says we want to reserve, oh, 250 tickets for our guest list. Well, they may not use all 250 tickets of that guest list. So if they determine that they're not using them, they go back into the pool. The same thing is if the fan club doesn't buy their allotment of tickets, they go back into the general pool. But you don't know this until we get closer to the show and the people who had the opportunities to have these tickets from these holdback uh, pools uh, either either take advantage of them or not. Yeah. So uh, so this is this is why tickets become available uh, when for a sold out show when you were told that there were no tickets available at all. I've spoken to to box office managers that I work at arenas and stadiums across the U.S. and you are a hundred percent correct is the day of the event or the day before the event. There are a lot of tickets that can be in the hundreds for stadium shows that just go back into the pool. And then it becomes a, it becomes a problem because no one's looking for those tickets on the primary vendor anymore. And, and as a result, there is an opportunity to take the, uh, to take that inventory and to redistribute it to people that have expressed interest in tickets. Another thing that happens is that the artist will move into the venue, determine exactly how much floor space their stage setup takes. And if it takes up less than they thought, well, then that means they can make more general admission tickets available or more floors, uh, seats on the floor available. Or other, uh, in another case, uh, if the ticket, if the stage view is set up in such a way that there are what were previously obscured seats or seats with no view of the stage, it turns out that they our view of the stage is viewable from those seats. Again, they go on sale, but you don't know that until the artist sets up in the venue. I think you've highlighted that it's always in flux. There's always uh, changes that are happening. There's more tickets being released. The idea that everything is available at the time that's indicated at 10 a.m. on a Friday, that's just not true. Um, there's a lot of other ways to actually access inventory and to, and to discover um, uh, the best way to try to get into the event that you want to go to. So um, it's very much an industry that's changing and the blend between primary and reseller is happening more and more. You've got StubHub is trying to become a primary vendor as well. You've got Ticketmaster that's launching resale. It's very much becoming kind of uh, like the true market instead of this idea of a primary market and a secondary market. You brought up an interesting point about a changing industry. We haven't yet had a conversation and it hasn't popped up. Uh, the, the word blockchain, I've been spending a remarkable amount of time thinking and, and reading about this nascent technology that currently is sort of the underpinning for Bitcoin, but it's got much more greater uh, uses than just a, as a cryptocurrency. Uh, the idea ultimately, I suppose, being is that it's what they call a distributed ledger, where if you have a transaction, whether it be a, a ticket purchase or even me sending Alan a contract for next year's show, um, you ensure that everybody's got a copy of it so that if anybody tries to hack or change it, we know right away. And that surprisingly is going to be what they call that whole trustless transaction thing where you don't need that intermediary confirming that I know you and you know me. Are, are you looking at this world at all when it comes to tickets? Yeah, there's there's not only us that's looking at it, but also kind of the major players, the ticket masters of the world are also looking at it because if if tickets are 
changing hands multiple times before the event happens is blockchain. It could be a technology that could be applied in order to, uh, to help to validate those tickets and also to track the journey of them all the way of the pre-sale into the on-sale into the general public all the way up until, uh, the, the, the end purchaser uses those tickets to go into a venue. And, and as a result is blockchain within the ticketing industry, it, uh, it would be one of the applications for it where it could be immediately valuable for not only the end, end consumer, but also for all of the stakeholders. It would be great for the artist to know if a pair of their tickets were, uh, were transferred eight times is who those eight people were. And then how do you apply that to ensure that you don't get scalpers or bots as everyone, including the New York State Attorney General Eric Schneiderman, is concerned about? I don't know specifically exactly how it would impact impact bots at all, um, uh, because there's still transactions to be had, and uh, the, the process of making making a purchase can still be automated. Um, like there's a lot of whack-a-mole that happens in this industry where you know captcha codes were once introduced as this is going to stop the bots, and then and then easily bots were programmed to go around that, which means that there's there's probably a lot of diligence that still has to happen to actually understand how a blockchain uh, may be used within the ticketing space. Crickets from Alan. No, no, I'm I'm waiting to see where you're going next. I'm again. Let me ask you this, uh, Adam, a question. What do you think? Do you think yes or no? Do you think that concert tickets are priced too low uh, when it comes to face value? Yes, yes. Uh, And it is it is a, a real issue. And it's starting to change, though, because you look at these fan presales. A lot of the times these are happening uh, in order to gather data, in order to understand actually what is market demand to help to reprice inventory, which means that the hundred dollar, that's the sticker price. It is, it's put out there in the market for, uh, uh, people to access, but then a lot of inventory is changing. Like the price of it, if you look on Ticketmasters, they've got platinum inventory, which is originally hundred dollar tickets that have moved up to three fifty, and it's very fluid. But uh, I completely believe that it's underpriced. The idea that Springsteen comes to town or Adele or even, like you said, Radiohead and the cost of, of those tickets are expected to be below the, the cost of tickets for the Rangers or the Knicks or the Maple Leafs or, or the Raptors, that's ludicrous. Um, each of those artists, they only come around you know, once every couple of years. And, and as a result, the price ought to be what the market is. And the artist ought to make the majority of that money. That's that's right. And I think what happens is that the 48 hours before showtime, we find out what the market says is the fair price for a ticket for that particular, for any particular show. Absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 and there's people that can't make up their mind eight months in advance if they want to attend an event when the tickets go up on sale. And that's why, you know, millennials is all of us are just, just creatures of convenience is we don't make up our mind until a few days before anyhow. So there's a lot of natural commerce that happens a few days before the event happens because people know they're going to be in town or they know they've got clients coming. I'll go one more beyond that. If let's say the Rolling Stones announce a concert and that concert is 11 months in the future and I happen to get tickets, 
but I don't know what I'm doing 11 months in the future. So many things could change in my life. It is nice to have the secondary market as a form of insurance just in case, you know, these tickets that I bought. And let's say I bought them for $100 each. So I'm sitting on $400 worth of tickets that I can't give away or want to get some money back on or maybe even, you know, want to uh, capitalize on the laws of the market, supply and demand. So I will go to the secondary market and say, hey, I've got, uh, you know, four Rolling Stones tickets. They're in such and such a section. Here's what I'm charging. And that way, I'm my insurance policy pays off. Okay, so Adam, let me ask you this. When is the best time for me to get the best seat in the house when tickets go on sale? So there's a small secret we have, which is for 90% of events is the best time to buy is the day of. Uh, because that's when the prices start start dropping dramatically because these are perishable goods, right? If, if the event happens on a Tuesday, the Wednesday, it's worth zero dollars. Um, but if it's really high demand events is then the best time is to try to access one of the pre-sales that could be through the artist channel that could be through the venue or one of the radio stations presenting the event. Um, but generally is just Actually, wait till the day of, because that's when you're going to be able to actually find the best price. I'm going to continue to do my research and due diligence on the whole nature of the concert ticket industry. And not only the concert tickets. Again, it's it's theater productions, it's comedy shows, it's sporting events, because it is so much more complicated than, oh, God, Ticketmaster screwed me again because the solo shows were sold out within 30 seconds of them going on sale at 10 o'clock on Friday. Uh, Adam, thank you very much. I think you've added... Uh, a lot more information to this to this conversation. You've schooled Michael. I've been trying to. God knows. <laughs> and uh, I, I, again, I know that that I'm taking a very unpopular position by defending the secondary market, by defending ticket brokers. But it's not. There is nothing special about concert tickets when it comes to the law of supply and demand and the free market. I mean, I would like a liter of gas to be you know, regulated. That's never going to happen. It's also never going to happen with any other perishable commodity, including concert tickets. Thank you, Adam. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. You're very, and, and if we can ever help you guys get any tickets, just let us know. <laughs> okay, Radiohead, third show, Madison Square Garden this summer. I'm on it. Okay. Alan, someone got to you. Give me Alan Cross back. <laughs> I am just well-researched on this one. Don't even try, buddy. Don't even try. Adam, thanks so much. Thanks a lot, guys. If you are listening to this podcast, you should go to geeksandbeats.com and you should listen to, or listen to, well, should listen to the podcast, but then you should also uh, talk about the uh, ticket purchasing situation that Amber has written about. Yeah, she's got some interesting pieces with the National Association of Ticket Brokers and their code of ethics prohibiting members in Canada and the U.S. from using bots and big concerns about them continuing to do so anyway. Yeah, bots are a real problem. Uh, Ticketmaster hates the use of bots. They're, they've got a number of procedures and protocols, machine learning, artificial intelligence, all these things trying to prevent bots because you know the whole idea is, is, is to put fans in seats. And when you give somebody an unfair advantage for the f- purposes of exploiting demand uh, for sheer profit and not anything that will necessarily go back to the artist or the promoter or the people who are actually delivering the commodity. It's, it's a bad thing. So, um, we'll just have to watch the bot situation. By the way, if you do a quick, do you get your, uh, your Intertron machine available? I got the Intertron up and running. What do you need? I want you to enter software buying bot software. 
or so, uh, concert ticket concert buying bot software. Ticket buying software. 15,000 results. And if you start going through some of those, you'll find that you can buy some very sophisticated software, software that can beat the Ticketmaster capture codes and everything else for 500 bucks. Own one of the craptastic mugs of the world's most popular podcast and support the show. You too can use the power of science to hold liquids, both hot or cold. Visit geeksandbeats.com today. Being a big Star Trek fan, clearly you are now following Picard Tips, Worf Email, Quark Tips, and Riker Googling. Oh, no, I'm not. I've, wh- where did this come from? Uh, over at geeksandbeats.com, our uh, resident, um, I, I was going to say our resident Star Trek nerd, but I think that's you. Dr. Proximo uh, has found some really neat Twitter accounts for big fans of the Star Trek series, including Riker Googling. Riker Googles zero gravity sex harness. <laughs> Starfleet uniform code is underwear required or optional. Okay. And of course, very timely, is the Tesla car still orbiting Mars? Okay. That's funny. Um, of course, uh, Jean-Luc Picard has his own Twitter account in the form of Picard Tips. Um, Picard Perspective Tip. Space is big. Bigger than you think. No. Bigger than that. <laughs> Who needs Neil deGrasse Tyson, right? Oh, you know what? It, it reeks of Neil deGrasse Tyson. I bet he is behind every single one of these. Oh, yeah, he's he's definitely following this. He's, he's definitely. Over at our Patreon account, Crickets. Oh. Again. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It's a good thing that we don't... Um, we don't... Uh, we have day jobs? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a very good thing. We continue to thank Mark Bradley, Mike Benninger, Paul Naden, Craig Glassford, Matthew Bartram, and Dan Rosenson, James Holmes, Fabian Shoja, which, by the way, you may recall, at one point I was accidentally, not accidentally, I was um, inaccurately pronouncing Fabian's last name as uh, Skioskiza. And not only did he correct us, but then boosted his uh, support of the big show over at Patreon to 25 bucks an episode for a whole bunch of episodes. Well, wait a second. Wait, wait, wait a second. I thought you said there were crickets over at Patreon. Well, no, we still have people who are contributing, but we don't have any new contributors to oh, thank. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, so we're, we're making a couple of bucks, enough to keep the lights on at the big show and uh, keep uh, everyone uh, in the... In the manner in which they become accustomed, which is nothing. The last uh, PayPal transfer you sent me was was four figures. $88.73. I was going to say, so long as you include the decimals. That's right. Yeah. So uh, if you uh, would like to keep the big show on the air, it'll help us greatly by going to geeksandbeast.com, click support the show. You can become a member of the world's worst intern program. And what makes it the world's worst is you pay us a dollar to work on the episode. Don't do any actual work. And if you are feeling particularly generous, you can donate $25, become a co-producer, and we talk about you on the big show. And you can always set a lifetime limit so that we don't gouge your credit card until the end of time. Yes, um, and we appreciate any any support that you give us because we do have some costs. And uh, as I mentioned, um, none of us are going to retire on this program. None of us. Riker Googling, can ship sensors detect skunks? Followed by, what else causes skunk smell? Followed by, 
difference between skunk and marijuana smell? Does synthoweed smell the same as marijuana? And then finally, how to find marijuana on Starship? And then there, there, there's an epilogue. Why are beards so loud? <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.